thanks for joining me on this Cleveland Baseball Morning. The final from Progressive Field in Cleveland, it's the Kansas City Royals 11, the Cleveland Indians 1. The Kansas City Royals win the four-game series, three games to one. I'm Davey Barris, lifelong Cleveland baseball fan, and I want to talk about the actual game on the field, the thing I enjoy, watching baseball being played. And last night, we got a treat because we came four outs away from seeing a no-hitter. Now, whether you're the team that's on the winning end of that or the losing end of that, we all have to admit how special a no-hitter is. And the Indians have not pitched a no-hitter since Len Barker pitched his perfect game. So it's been a long time since the, since the 80s since the Indians have done it. But it's happened to us. And in those moments, and the perfect example of this is Tom Hamilton. Because as that game went on, Tom Hamilton went from frustrated with the Indians to excited to possibly call a no-hit, a no-hitter. And that is the magic of baseball right there. When you see greatness, when you see a great performance happening, I don't know about you, but I started to root for the no-hitter by about the seventh inning. And at that point, the Royals had made it uh, 7-0. So you kind of felt like the game was out of hand, and you figured at this point, let's just see greatness happen. Let's see if this kid, this rookie, can pull off a no-hitter. And unfortunately, Austin Hedges spoils it in the eighth inning. I mean, I guess it's good, right? You want your baseball team to rally and show some fight. But it would have been cool to see last night. So normally, I would run through the game summary. But, I mean, what's the point? We literally don't get a hit until the eighth inning. Austin Hedges breaks it up in the eighth inning by, on a full count, singling through a gap on the right side, just hitting a burner on the right side, but they were shifting him to pull a little bit, and he's able to squirt one through the right side. Whit Merrifield was charging in. He was coming up to throw to first base. He was going to try to get Austin Hedges out of first base to preserve the no-hitter, but he couldn't field it cleanly. That would have been interesting. Uh, That would have been a little league softball play right there. So, uh, yeah, and then the Indians do score one run in the ninth off Matt Harvey, but that's not fair. Matt Harvey... Matt Harvey is not a major league level pitcher right now. He is struggling big time. And uh, I mean, the Royals are trying anything they can with pitching right now, but Matt Harvey should not be in the major leagues right now. So uh, that's how we scored that one run. That's how we get the two extra hits. Um, So yeah, so Brady Singer, the rookie for the Royals was pretty darn fantastic. He goes eight innings. He stayed in and got a strike out of the line out of Shields to finish the eight complete innings. He pitched 119 pitches and 80 were strikes. That's incredible. 119 pitches, 80 were strikes. They let him go. They were talking about it. He was supposed to be on a pitch count. He was supposed to be between 80 and 90 pitches because he's a rookie. And uh, they let him go and... What a performance. With a one hit, two walks. So uh, Mike Freeman walks the second batter of the first inning. He walks, and then Brady Singer doesn't allow another base runner until I believe maybe the seventh inning when he gives up another walk. Yeah, Carlos Santana walks in the seventh with two outs. So he goes from the first inning all the way to two outs in the seventh inning without allowing another base runner, and he has eight strikeouts on the day. So how was he doing it? What was Brady Singer doing to us that was causing all these problems for the Indians hitters? 
he wasn't really getting us to chase pitches out of the zone or anything like that. The O swing number, which is uh, swings outside the zone, aren't obscure. You know, they're not uh, crazy high or crazy low. Uh, in fact, all the contact numbers seem pretty in line with his season averages. Uh, we made contact on 71% of our swings, almost 72% of our swings last night. He was in the zone 44.5% of the time. His first pitch strikes were pretty good, 63%, but that's about what he does. He did get a little bit higher on swinging strikes, uh, 13.5% swinging strikes last night. To be honest, we looked at a lot of pitches last night. Cesar Hernandez was out looking a couple of times. Uh, nothing nothing crazy there. Let's take a look at batted balls. And uh, we were pulling the ball more than he normally, well, about what he normally gives up, 41.2% of the time. Um, a lot of ground balls last night. 52.9% were ground balls. 41% were fly balls. Soft contact. That's where it's at. The most soft contact that he has induced all season. 35.3% soft contact. And uh, it's all about the exit velocity and stuff like that. The contact being made. Uh, it's what Fangraph's qualifies classifies as soft contact and that's insanely high for him his next highest was a start against the cubs back in early august where he got 18.2 percent soft contact last night 35.3 percent soft contact his pitch mix he was throwing a lot of fastballs 59.7 percent fastballs with an average velocity just under 94 he threw 38.7% sliders and a few change-ups mixed in there. So basically two pitches last night. And that's pretty much in line with what he does. He's, he's kind of a two-pitch pitcher right now. And so I'd like to say there's some number here that jumps out, right? There's something in his pitch type or his plate discipline or his bat and ball that jumps out and goes, okay, that's what he was doing to Indians hitters. But aside from that soft contact, no, nah, he was really just – Mixing things up and just getting out. Now, the defense behind him definitely helps. Anytime you come close to a no-hitter or throw a no-hitter, the defense behind you helps. And there were some great defensive plays by the Royals. Starting in the fifth inning, Josh Naylor lining out to left field. Alex Gordon makes a really good running catch to take a hit away from Josh Naylor. Then in the bottom of the sixth, Cesar Hernandez, he gets sick of striking out looking, and this time he swings at the first pitch, lines it out, lines to center field, and Edward Olivares makes a great running catch going back towards the wall to take a hit away from Cesar Hernandez. Then in the bottom of the seventh, Francisco Lindor put a really good swing on a ball to left that was going out to left center field. But third baseman Matt Reynolds, who was the only player there in the shift, makes a leaping grab and pulls this ball back down to earth for an out. So it was some big defense behind him, and you'll always see that in a no-hit situation where the defense is going to have to make a couple of plays to keep that guy in it. He was definitely tiring a little bit. That walk against Santana, long at-bats there in the seventh inning. Finally, some long at-bats. I think in the fifth or the sixth inning, he only threw like six pitches. Like We weren't making him work. That was another thing that we weren't doing. We were there striking out really quick or putting them on play and getting out. So... Um, it would have been nice to show a little bit more patience, I guess, last night and try to work this guy, work his pitch count up a little bit. I mean, we did make him throw 119 pitches and 80 were for strikes, but man, mix in some foul balls or something. Do what you got to do to stay alive against these pitchers. 
and uh, try to, you know, try to tire this guy out a little bit. So that was what was going on for Brady Singer. Again, nothing really stands out except that he pitched great. He just pitched fantastic. And uh, he said that he realized that he had a no-hitter after about the third inning. So that puts a lot of pressure on him. He was basically thinking about it the whole time. So, uh, yeah, that's tough. He, he talked about the mental aspect of trying to hang in there and get all 27 outs. That, it's, that's a lot. That is a mental grind. Um, what happened on the other side? Aaron Savali just got into trouble with two outs. In the third inning, the Royals put together a rally with two outs. We talked about yesterday how uh, Carlos Carrasco didn't walk anyone. And something he spread out seven hits. And if you don't walk anybody, you can do it, right? You can spread out those hits. The walks are what are going to get you into trouble. And that happened here in the third inning. He gives up a single to Whit Merrifield. He then walks Alberto Mondesi. That walk moves Merrifield into scoring position. And then Hunter Dozier singles and brings in that first run of the game. Then they get a double steal. And Michael Franco swings on a pitch that was way out of the zone, Flares is bad at it and is able to just poke it in the left field. That's an example of a guy who's not willing to strike out with runners in scoring position. How much would you love to see an Indians player do that? Instead of trying to hit a home run, trying to lift the ball, trying to you know get that launch angle, he just puts the bat on the ball. He makes contact. He does whatever he can to stay alive in that at bat, and he flares it out in the left field. So... That's how they did in the third. They jump on him early. He would then give up a solo home run to Edward Olivares in the sixth. That would make it 4 nothing, And you still felt like there was a chance at 4 nothing. Then a three-run homer from Michael Franco. He doesn't miss this one. This one was off Dominic Leone in the seventh. And that would really put the game out of play. Now, a fun thing for the Indians. We did get to see new rookie pitcher Kyle Nelson, who was called up for Adam Simber, and Nelson started out looking good. He got two ground outs to start the inning. Like I said, all these runs, all the runs, 11 runs from the Royals yesterday, were all scored with two outs. That's insane. 11 RBIs with two outs. So he gets ground outs to start the inning. They were talking about how good his slider is. It looked like he was locating his fastball really well. He was throwing strikes, so I'll give him credit there. However, Nicky Lopez singles, Cam Gallagher walks, and then Whitmere Field shoots a ground ball through to center field, hits it right back up the middle. Lopez comes in to score. They have a mound visit, and then Alberto Mondesi gets an inside fastball that he can handle and drives it out to left center field for a home run. It was... So I think they caught on that this guy was going to throw nothing but strikes last night, keep everything in the strike zone, and so they started swinging, and they kind of unloaded on him. So... Uh, it's not the debut that Kyle Nelson probably would have wanted, but this the guy definitely seems like he can locate his pitches. He definitely seems like the kind of guy that's going to throw strikes. Uh, we'll see how he bounces back. We'll have to see. The fastball wasn't too hot. I think it was only around 90 miles per hour. So well, he's definitely a fastball slider combo guy. He's got kind of a slingshot delivery, kind of a three-quarters delivery from the left side. So... We'll see. We'll see what Kyle Nelson turns into. Can he be a dominant lefty? Can he be a guy who keeps hitters off balance like Oliver Perez? He doesn't have a better, you can't ask for a better mentor than Oliver Perez out there. So 
that's how it went down for the Indians last night. Savali actually didn't pitch terrible. Um, his final line on the night, he uh, he takes the loss. He gives up seven hits, four earned runs, a homer, a walk, and seven strikeouts. So he's back to striking guys out at a decent rate. Um, his pitch type, his fastball was down, although it did seem like that two-seam fastball was effective on the left edge of the plate. Uh, but his fastballs were down and his cutters were up last night. That's Austin Hedges making the call. So maybe, you know, the difference between Sandy Leone, Austin Hedges, and Roberto Perez calling things back there. All of his um, plate discipline numbers seem pretty in line with what he'd been doing. His first pitch strikes were down a little bit, 57.7% first pitch strikes. However, his swinging strikes were back up over 10. It was at 13.9% swinging strike. So he was getting a little more swing and miss last night. And he was getting some swings outside the zone. He got 46.7% swings outside the zone, which is his highest uh, percentage on the season. So again, it wasn't terrible for Savali, but man, he got into a jam. With uh, with the those runners on base in that third inning and just could not get out of it. And there's an interesting stat here under win probability and fan graphs. There's something they keep track of called clutch. And it's how much better or worse a player does in high leverage situation, situations than he would have done in a context neutral environment. So the way this clutch stat is kind of done, it takes into account win probability added, which is something we've talked about before. You know, what are you doing collectively to add wins for your team? And it takes into account this average leverage index. Now, we won't keep diving any further at that point, but I'll just tell you. So they're looking at the total sum of what a player did and then against what they do when the leverage is turned up. So they said if you're a 300 hitter normally and you stay a 300 hitter in, in high leverage situations, your clutch value actually isn't going to be that high because that's what you'd be expected to do. So when the heat is turned up, do you perform even better or even worse? The clutch last night for Aaron Savali was minus 0.05. Now the scale for this thing, should have gone over that. The scale for this thing is usually between 1 and negative 1. That's the scale you're looking at. You can go over one. You'd be insanely great if you went over. Um, an excellent score would be a 2.0. A great score would be a 1.0. Above average would be 0.5. Average would be 0. And the reverse on the negative side. So last night, Aaron Savali was at negative 0.5. So he was a little bit under clutch. On the season, he's actually at negative 0.19. So he's below average clutch. When the heat turns up, he actually crumbles a little bit. Now, I'll give you the opposite side of that. Shane Bieber, our best pitcher, he, for the season, is at 0.29 clutch. So he is above average. Not great, but above average in that clutch factor. And that could be a situation where he is great all the time. So we talked about that 300 hitter who hits 300 in clutch situations. That number might not go up that much. I think that might be the case here for Shane Bieber. He's so great that uh, in, in normal game situations that when the heat gets turned on, he just stays great. So uh, that's an above average clutch score. So that was something interesting because it felt like last night 
once the heat got turned on Aaron Savali, he really couldn't find his way out of it, even though he pitched decent on the day. So we lose the four-game series to the Royals. We had a chance to make up ground on the White Sox and the Twins yesterday because neither team was playing. Instead, we slip a half game in the standings. We now drop to actually third place. Even though relaxed, we still have like a 99% probability of making the playoffs. So Sandy LMR said that in his post game. He said, hey, we're still way above 500. We're probably going to make the playoffs. Just calm down a little bit and stick with us here. So I will tell you, though, this was an ugly series against the Royals. In this four-game series, the Royals scored 24 runs on 42 hits. They had five home runs, five doubles, and two triples. That's 12 extra base hits. They uh, they batted 286 on the series with a 761 OPS. And if you think about it, that is really hard. I mean, those numbers will never look good over the course of a series because you have to get out 27 times. You have to. It's got to be done. We have to play nine innings. Unless there's a rain out in the seventh, there's going to be 27 outs. So to keep a batting average high as far as a team batting average goes over the course of a series is pretty hard. So I got to say 286 batting average with a 761 OPS is really, really impressive. Baseball Reference finally updated the Indians page, so I can tell you what the Indians did over this four-game series. They had 26 hits, 12 runs. They had four doubles, a triple, and three homers, so they had themselves eight extra base hits, and they batted 205 with a 582 OPS over that series, over that four-game set. So... As you can see, the Royals absolutely kicked our ass. So, we almost saw a no-hitter yesterday, and we got to dig into a little bit of no-hitter history for the Indians here. So, there have been, the Indians have been no-hit on 11 occasions, the most coming from the New York Yankees. This is from nonohitters.com, and I love that there's a website completely devoted to no-hitters. The first no-hitter thrown against the Indians was Charles Chief Bender from the Philadelphia Athletics in 1910. The Philly A's beat us 4-0. That was the Cleveland Naps, remember. Uh, The next no-hitter is Joe Benz from the White Sox in 1914. Joe Bush from the Philly Athletics in 1916. Vern Kennedy from the White Sox in 1935. Monte Pearson from the Yankees in 1938. That was the second game of a doubleheader. That must have been exhausting. The Yankees won that one 13-0. Allie Reynolds for the Yankees in 1951. Is that the first one? That was the first one in Cleveland. That was the first time at home in old Cleveland Stadium on July 12, 1951. Dave Moorhead from the Red Sox, no hit us in 65. Dean Chance from the Twins, no hit us in 67. That was also the second game of a doubleheader. Dave Steib, no hit us for the Jays in 1990. Jim Abbott from the Yankees in 1993. And the last one, the last no hitter against us was Urban Santana from the LA Angels on July 27th, 2011. 2011. 
And that's a strange game because we actually scored a run in the first inning. A man reached on an error, advanced around the bases, and scored on a wild pitch. So we were actually up one nothing in that game for a little bit. I watched the highlight last night. And, uh, man, you remember that 2011 team? Uh, you got Estrubo Cabrera in there. You got Kipnis, like, batting in the bottom of the order. You got Travis Hafner in there. It was fun to see some of those faces. That summer, that July 27th, I was driving somewhere. I was on a road trip somewhere. I don't know if I was driving down to Columbus to see some old college friends. But I remember listening to this game on the radio, and it was brutal. It was like, oh, the Indians game on. All right, it'll keep me company on this drive. You know, nothing better than an Indians game on a road trip to keep you awake for three or four hours. And then we get no hit. And there's nothing sadder, nothing more exhausting while driving than listening to your baseball team get no hit. So Irvin Santana is the last one to do it, do it against us. And of course, I had to pull up Armando Galarraga's almost near perfect game. Let's be honest, it was a perfect game for the Tigers against the Indians on, what was the date of this one? I don't have the date. Anyways, I had to pull up Armando Galarraga's near-perfect game, and man, what a terrible, absolutely awful, pathetic, terrible call by the umpire at the end of this game. If you don't remember it, uh, I forget who the hitter was for the Indians. The last hitter of the game hits a ground ball to Miguel Cabrera, who ranges way to his right, probably too far, probably should have just let the second baseman take it, but he's not going to give up a hit, ranges way to his right, and then flips the ball back to Galarraga, who is covering first base, easily, easily beat the Indians runner by a step, but the umpire calls him safe, and there's no replay, and the reaction from the Tigers is priceless. I mean, Miguel Cabrera screams yeah, pumps his fist, and then screams no as soon as he sees the umpire's call. His reaction is priceless. Galarraga just smiles out into the ether. He has no clue what to do. He, he, he's probably so angry, but can't even comprehend what just happened, and... Uh, the, the manager for the Tigers, uh, I think there's Jim Leland still. He never saw a replay, so he comes out and he's giving him the are you sure? Are you sure business? After the game, after he sees the replay, after they get the, the final out of the game, Galarraga stays in and finishes the game. The Tigers unload on the umpires. We almost had a bench-clearing brawl between the Tigers and the umpires. So if you've never seen the highlight of Armando Galarraga's near-perfect game, I think he's actually petitioned the Major League office to change it to a perfect game because it's so clear that the runner is out. That, uh, yeah, you definitely got to get on YouTube and see this highlight because that is a memory. And uh, for Brady Singer, this is going to be a memory, definitely. His almost no-hitter against the Cleveland Indians in his rookie season, it was a pretty impressive performance yesterday from the young Casey Wrighty. All right, we got to move on. We got to move forward with this thing. We got to face the Minnesota Twins next, and... A lot of you out there on Indians Twitter were really angry last night, and understandably. And the biggest thing I heard on Indians Twitter last night was they gotta change the lineup. You have come on, change the lineup. What could it possibly hurt to change the lineup? And I agree with you. What could it hurt? We are. Did you know that the Indians are the worst hitting team in Cleveland Indians history? 
The 2020 Cleveland Indians have the lowest batting average in 120 years of Cleveland baseball, and it's not even close. The next worst team is the 1968 Cleveland Indians, who batted 234 on the season. We're batting 228 right now as a team, six points lower than the franchise record for you know for terrible offense. Our OPS in our on base percentage is slightly higher than the worst teams ever because Carlos Santana knows how to draw a walk, but we're the worst batting average ever in franchise history. So what the hell do we have to lose by changing the lineup? How would I do it? Oh, I would probably maybe go Lindor one, Cesar Hernandez. I would probably drop down. Let's bring Merc- Let's just go crazy here, right? We'll just mix it up for the sake of mixing it up. Let's go Lindor one. Let's put Oscar Mercado back out in center. Let's have him bat second. Let's have Jose Ramirez bat third if he's in there. If not, uh, maybe Cesar Hernandez. Let's have Fermil Reyes bat cleanup. Let's have Carlos Santana bat fifth. Let's have Cesar Hernandez bat sixth. Let's go Naquin, catcher, Naylor, the last outfielder, batting ninth. Just for the sake, for the sake of mixing it up, who knows, maybe that changes somebody's approach at the plate and unlocks something on the Indians' offense. I'll tweet that out. I want you to tweet at me, comment back, let me know how you would fix the Indians' lineup, how you would change it. You You know the players you have to work with. It's not much right now. So do what you can, mix up the lineup, let me know how you would change things. All right, we'll be back tomorrow to cover this Minnesota game. The game times go back to 8 o'clock because we're going into the central time zone. So get ready for that. Shane Bieber is on the mound, and man, do we need Shane Bieber right now. He's going against Maida, though, for the Twins. And Maida has definitely been the ace of that pitching staff. So get ready. It is going to be a pitcher's duel tonight in Minnesota. Of course, watch. It'll be like a seven to eight game or something like that. You never know with baseball. Baseball will always find a way to surprise you, to give you the unexpected. All right, that's all my thoughts. Thanks for joining me on this Cleveland baseball morning. Again, the final from Cleveland last night. It's the Kansas City Royals 11, your Cleveland Indians 1. You can follow me on Twitter at Davey Barris. You can email the show at clevelandbaseballmornings at gmail.com. Let me know your thoughts on the game, and we'll discuss them on the show. Also, I'm hosting this podcast on Anchor, so if you go to anchor.fm forward slash Cleveland Baseball Mornings, you can leave a voicemail for the show. We'll play them back on air, respond to your thoughts, and we'll have a fun conversation amongst the fans about baseball. So thanks again for joining me on this Cleveland Baseball Morning. Cleveland Baseball Morning.